0: DJ PK and Brendan Quinn joins us. He writes about college basketball and golf for The Athletic. He's currently at Riviera with the PGA Tour there. Final stop on the West Coast Swing. Florida's coming up. Brendan, good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks nice for having me. Riviera, good work if you can get it, right? Not bad.
1: <laughs> not, not bad. Not bad. Especially when you live in Detroit. Uh, a nice trip to Riviera in, uh, in mid-February is, is, a, is a nice, nice scam. <laughs>
0: Uh, we want to have you on because you got a big story on The Athletic about BYU basketball. And frequently when you start writing those stories, well, you know a lot of stuff, and that's why you want to write it because you want to tell that story that you know to a wider audience. But frequently you also learn new things along the way. So how much did you know and what did you learn as you uh, got ready to write this article on on BYU, making the move to the Big 12 and recruiting all over the world? Yeah, I, I would
1: say I knew a fair amount about the, the school and the church affiliation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, what, what really interested me from the onset in kind of diving into BYU was um, just watching the play. And, and you know, there was a – I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, Jordan Sperber, who's a great um, kind of online analyst, Uh, put together a uh, film clip of um, the kind of really picked apart BYU's offense and how they use fake handoffs and all this stuff and just kind of really got into the the nitty-gritty of of why they are so efficient offensively. And it's just beautiful basketball. You know, I mean, they run such great offense. It's so much fun to watch, especially when they have – I like Lisa in the in the high post and a running offense through him. It's just like it's a really fun brand of basketball. And that's what kind of spurred me to say, well, let's go let's go figure out. Like, you know, what is um, what's the team about and, and how did this all kind of come to be? And then the story kind of just took on a life of its own from from there and diving into, you know, three um three Muslim players and the roster construction, et cetera, et cetera. And then it kinda of turned into, well, let's try to explain to a broader audience who might not really understand the school and what the you know, what the, the contours that kinda of come with trying to trying to construct a roster. Um, and then the the overriding element of moving to the Big Twelve and now complain, competing in the best conference in college basketball
2: was the idea for the story since you were coming out to LA anyway, stop in Provo? Is that how it came about? No,
1: no, no. This is a this is a one-off trip. I I uh I was actually there um it was a January 21st to the 24th. I was there for the Houston game. Oh, okay. So right after right after the loss to Texas Tech, um that was on a Saturday, I was in in the office with Mark Pope. That Sunday, the next day, and, you know, campus was pretty empty. No one was in the basketball office. It was just he and I sitting in the office for for about two hours and uh, and kind of went from there and went to the the Houston game that night was the first time I I'd seen a game at Marriott. And uh, that was awesome. You know, the the energy was off the charts and then uh, got out of there the next day.
0: Obviously, BYU is different, but obviously this era of college basketball is different. There's more international talent than ever before. The transfer portal has guys (laughs) moving around and coaches quickly having to rebuild rosters. How similar is this new era? How similar in this new era is BYU doing to what everybody else is doing? And how much is it still very different than what everybody else is doing?
1: Well, I mean, I I feel like it's still relatively early in in the era, and that's mm-hmm. kind of one of my big questions. Is you know, it, it's one thing to try to build a roster in in the WCC. Um, you know, this is the first year in in Big Twelve, and it the, the, you know, college basketball as a whole is older. College basketball as a whole is now just so transient, and and BYU has. Like this, their model that's always been in place there of of return missionaries and, you know, trying to find a couple players that still fit. Like, how does that work in an era where, you know, I remember being in coaches' offices five, 10, 15 years ago, where they would have the charts up of their scholarship players two, three, four years out, and it would be for recruiting, right? So they would have these charts of, you know, their freshman would then on the fourth panel would be listed as seniors and how many open scholarships would you have? That's all out the window. Now it's just totally year to year. And, you know, when, when you're living in this world and you, you have to recruit, you know, certain types of players and you're just more confined to what you can reasonably do and the number of players who would be interested in doing that. um, How does that jive? I don't know. Um, I mean, BYU's obviously had some success with with transfers, you know, well before the transfer portal era. And even on the current roster, you know, Jackson Robinson um, coming in and and taking on the role that that he's taken. And, uh, you know, the the Adams, who you haven't seen, but is going to, you know, potentially play a part. Um, But what you're seeing right now is, you know, upwards of 70% of scoring leaders in in, – you know, leading conference uh, scoring leaders are now transfers. You know, it used to be 20% were transfers. Um, is This is a world where you're going to see majority rosters that are transfer players. And, you know, BYU is a place where I just don't know if it ever gets there in that way. So, um, I don't know. It's going to be what they make of it. I think it's a, it's a really fascinating uh, – the word that they use is the tension – which as a writer is like that's what you're looking for um and and there's a ton of it there for sure
2: yeah and also too a quote that caught my eye you quote uh keith vorkink who and byu they have a lot of layers of bureaucracy uh and mm-hmm. pope reports to him rather than reporting directly to the athletic director which is usually right. the case so they have an extra person in there and It's always been a sore point for some people, but that's the way BYU does it. And you've got him with a quote that uh, and you set it up nicely uh, and, I, and I like how you do it because you, you quote Khalifa who's I knew nothing about the Mormons but once this big 12 I was in and you know I don't know how much you knew about the Mormons but it's clear you picked up on it because it says going in on mm-hmm. this is, this is your own writing going in on all sports is a great marketing play for the faith but not if it con- conflicts with the divine mission and the quote is with our leadership there's absolutely awareness of what's at stake and I think there's hope but wariness. the reality is if things move." So far, in a certain direction, we're out. We have to be able to achieve our objectives in order to be in athletics. Well, BYU fans, wait a second. If things move in a certain direction, because things are moving in crazy directions, we're out. (laughs) You know what I mean? And uh, we've all been in sports media for a good long while, and the stuff we've seen the last few years has just been sort of crazy for sure. Uh, What did you take from that? Do you think that was sort of a – uh, just like a, a let's do lunch with no real meaning or, hey,
0: mm-hmm. if things
2: continue to go, this is serious and we're going to get out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the big question. Because for me, and like one of the, the kind of unanswered questions that I left with is like, what's the line and how willing or how close are you willing to get to it? <laughs> you know, um, like I, I almost no one would come out and say anything like to the extent of like, look, there would never be a scenario of a roster being majority non-LDS, right? Like, is that a line? Like, is there a, does a world exist where there would be um, a basketball roster, for instance, that was majority non-LDS players? And, like, no one would answer that question. And, you know, I think theoretically that could be something that you're like, you might have to get there if you're going to live in – this big 12 world and this transfer portal era and what are you doing about NIL? Um, all these things. So like what are the lines of demarcation that church leadership has of like, we won't go past this and, you know, do those lines exist? I imagine they do. I don't know what they are. I always, I think folks out there would probably be far more, um, intelligent about that, uh, than I am. But um, to me, that was just my general sense that there are just like some things that will not happen. And if those things will not happen, can you still compete? Um, because you're going out and you're playing NCAA tournament teams every single night. And this is, the, this, is what you, this is what you wanted, right? When you join the Big 12 and you don't want to be left behind in college sports, um, like it was a major coup to get that spot in that conference that a lot of other places would have killed for. Go talk to Memphis, you know? Um, you know, places that were desperate to get in that conference. Um, BYU got it because it has a massive audience, it's a big brand, people know it, um, and it competes so but, but now that, that comes with evolution and, and, and change in theory and and taking the next step that other places are are willing to do and you know there's for instance, like I mentioned, I live in Detroit, you know University of Michigan has really, really strict enrollment issues for, for, um, for transfers, especially people who've been in college three, four years, and what credits transfer. And, and they're not willing to break from that, and it's killing them in the transfer portal. They're just not being able to get certain kids. They missed on Caleb Love because of it. They missed on Karen Shannon because of it. And like you know, the school is now in this push-pull. I feel like BYU is that multiplied by many, many times.
0: I don't know that you have, given what you just said, I don't know if you have any insight into this question, but we've heard so much from schools about the student-athlete, and it looks like big-time football, and it remains to be seen, it certainly remains to be seen with basketball, but big-time football is going to a place where the top two leagues are going to have employees, and maybe employees who don't go to class. I would lean towards it's going that way, but we'll see, and, and we'll see how quickly. Does that sound like a line that BYU would be willing to cross or not? Do you have any feeling on that?
1: My guess would be no. I mean, just just based on my my time there and speaking to people about academics and their schoolwork and things like that. And like it, it is taken pretty seriously, far more seriously than at a lot of places that I've visited where it's you know, it's it's incidental. It's stuff kind of in the background of, yeah, class and whatever and we're gonna make sure that yeah, you know, every, everyone's eligible. Let's just say that, you know. <laughs> the days of being ineligible are over. Um, and, I, I mean, BYU, based on the, the, my time there, it seems like it's still very much you are in class, you are taking tests, you are not missing this. You know, there are it, – it's taken pretty seriously. So, um, I, I think – I, I don't know if a you know, these, these football programs are always still going to be tied to the colleges that they are affiliated with. Right. Um, and, and it is one of the bizarre you know constructs of collegiate athletics. Um, and you're just kind of like why, but it's just evolution. No one would have set it up this way in an, if we were starting over, but, um, this is what it is. These schools are always going to pretend that it's part of their identity and an academic level. Um, but it's kind of a front, so it's a front for for making money. How uh, does BYU live there? I don't know. Um, probably uncomfortably, I would guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, I find your comments to be very perceptive for a you know a so called outsider because you got in there and you really covered the stuff a to z. You did a great job on the story. I've got it in front of me, obviously, and. Uh, you bring up how uh, a couple years back, whenever it was, that they started, I think, the four or, f- or five non-LDS guys, four African-Americans, I think it was. Uh, and, you know, that has always been an issue there, obviously. And mm-hmm. a lot of folks celebrated the diversity of it. But I had one who's the person is still employed by BYU um, say – well, what happened to the days where we had LDS guys and that's what we were doing and we had returned missionaries because that's who we are. Where are we going with this? And so, you know, it was it was great to see in, in some respects, but then are we going to the expense of not recruiting the bread and butter and the reason why the institution exists in the first place? So it's an interesting dynamic because in order to compete at the – High level, which the Big 12 obviously is, you're going to need these basic, you know, just non-LDS guys because the fact is, there's I don't think there's enough LDS guys who would come mm-hmm. to BYU and be a big-time competitive program in this conference. So I personally like what Pope's doing because I want to talk about winners. It makes a uh, makes it more fun, but there is that dynamic and. How were you able to sense that just in the short time that you were on campus talking to these people? Because I think it's your, your perception of the whole thing and your instinct is really phenomenal on it.
1: You could just kind of feel this tug of war where, you know, okay, this is a, it's a university built by the faith for the faith. And that means offering opportunities to church members, right? So, like you said, you know, the part of this program existing is as a place for returned missionary athletes who want to go to college and, and play at a high level and play collegiate sports. Does that have to be at the absolute highest level? You know, I don't know. That's kind of in the eye of the beholder. But, um, you know, that is, the, that is the intent is to be a place for those members of the faith. At the same time, being out there, I really came to kind of uh, more readily understand that athletics at BYU is as much about brand recognition and marketing. And, you know, it is almost modern missionary work of getting the word out and getting the name of the school out there and having, you know, that one person out there say, hey, what's this place about? Look into it and maybe they, you know, find inspiration or whatever. Um, You know, that's not for me to say. And, you know, I, I tried to take the faith element as much on uh w- without putting any of my thoughts. And, you know, that's that's not wasn't part of the story at all. So that that stayed out of it. It was but to me, that's kind of this tug of war that I could feel is, OK, so if you want to use athletics as a as a marketing brand, for lack of a better term, um, well, then you need to win. And to win, you need the best players. And are you able to to get the best players within the confines of, of LBS athletes being um, the majority of your rosters. That's hard. And, and it's, and it's only gets harder as more time passes. And you're right. You know, they're not the only school out there willing to take these guys, you know, I mean, Oregon was all over the Chandler kid and Utah was on the Chandler kid. And um, yeah, yeah, right. Right. You know, if anyone, yeah. if any, if, if anyone's good, they're going to be recruited. Yeah, for you sure. know, it's not just some pipeline for BYU. No. So um, that, 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 those two things, I don't know how they can operate, uh, concurrently.
2: So I figure the way you say the word basketball, you've got to have some Northeast in your background. Am I correct? <laughs> I'm from Philadelphia. I went to St. Joe's, St. Joe's. which
1: actually played <laughs> the first game in the Marriott Center. Oh, yeah.
2: That's cool. Not how about with, that? Fun fact. Not with Phil Martelli or Jameer Nelson. <laughs> uh, Jameer was a year ahead of me. Yes. Yes, yeah, that was uh, that was my
1: junior year when they went uh, 27 and 0, and uh, I remember all of it and I remember none of it.
2: So, <laughs> how, how much time did you spend in Ocean City, New Jersey, in the summer?
1: Uh fair amount. I, I was more of a Seattle guy, but I got it in in Ocean City for sure.
2: There you yeah. go. I spent a lot of time there growing up. I grew up in New Jersey myself.
0: <laughs> Outstanding. So, as a Detroit guy, yeah, good. <laughs> As a Detroit guy, are you going to follow the tour to Florida, or is uh, the uh, is L.A. the end of the gravy train?
1: Well, i got to go back to hoops now. Um, so going back to Detroit after this, and then uh, a couple weeks of, of writing work, and then I head to Arizona to check in with uh, a Final Four contender for a couple days, go see what's happening with Tommy Lloyd and the boys, and then I will be off and running for conference tournaments three weeks for The NCAA tournament, and then to Augusta for the Masters.
2: Well, I graduated from ASU, so light up the cats for me, okay? <laughs> I'll
1: see what I, I'll see what I can do. What's going to happen with Bobby? Early? Is he is he the coach at Arizona State next year, or does he take the the happy parachute to DePaul or something like that?
2: I think he's probably going to do enough down the stretch to where they want him back, but they they got to get the athletic director. I mean, he's been there 10 years, which is far longer than most of them. And I, and I, and I know some people there and they said, he's got a halfway decent recruiting class coming in. So my thought is stay. He got an extension last year. I
1: think there's probably at least enough money in that to, to stick around. Um, the school probably doesn't want to do the buyout and, I'm convinced he has no interest in coaching in the same league as, as his, brother. his brother. Yeah. So right. If if the if Paul's the only offer, I don't see him jump in anywhere. But you know, who knows what else opens well, up.
2: As long as Herm Edwards is not allowed within 500 miles of the state of Arizona, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Fair enough.
0: All right. Well, we'll read your stuff, and we'll see if we can get any more on how Arizona lost a quarter of a billion dollars, and how that's going to impact the basketball program and athletic department, <laughs> if at all, because that's a one of a kind story you can only get by going to Tucson.
1: Well, I don't know if people will be quite as readily available to uh, to talk about that one. Yeah. Um, but I, I do hope to cross paths with with BYU because I will say there are there's still so much in the notebook there of of some individual player stories that it is a fascinating collection of guys um, that, that Mark Pope has, has role in there. And uh, they're good. I think they got, I think they should have very real second weekend aspirations um, in this, in this NCAA tournament.
0: We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, Brendan. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Brendan Quinn, college basketball and golf writer for the athletic joining us from Riviera and the LA open. And talking about BYU and the big story he wrote in The Athletic. DJ and PK, when we come back, everything you missed in this show. A lot of jazz talk this morning after another loss. It has been a completely different team the last week. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone.